This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. Uh, there is always a, a tension, I think, in the the accumulation of wealth, the deployment of wealth, and then the preservation. And certainly when you're trying to do that across generational lines, it becomes a bit of a challenge uh, and it takes a little bit of thought. And to do that, you need people who have thoughts on it. And that is why Anna and Giacante and Keith Beverly are with me today. Anna and Keith, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us, Brent. Yeah, of course. Um, so that people know who you are and they don't only have uh, my summation of your, your biographies to go off of, why don't you introduce yourselves? Keith, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Keith Beverly. I'm the uh, Chief Investment Officer of uh, Reinvision Wealth. And uh, I've been in the industry now, so financial planning uh, roles, investment management roles since 2002, so a little over 20 years. Uh, did a stint for a couple of years in, in B school in, in North Carolina. Uh, native Washingtonian, um, bought my first stock when I was 14, and, and I've been, um, I've caught the bug early, and I've been investing ever since. Um, I'm a very strong proponent of um, early financial education and financial literacy. We do a lot of work in the community around um, just teaching, uh, sharing our knowledge, sharing our expertise with different different communities and folks of different backgrounds. Um, here at the firm, I'm, I'm charged with managing our investment philosophy, um, building out portfolios for clients, uh, and doing so in a way that's aligned with their their mission and their values. And a CFA, so you really like numbers. Yeah, yeah, I'm a CFA and, and a, a CFP as well. So I, I do enjoy numbers. I've been known to dabble a bit in a spreadsheet or two. A <laughs> spreadsheet or two, yeah. I'm sure all of your, your uh, business associates would disagree with that summation. I was going to say, I think, I don't think Keith has met a spreadsheet that he doesn't like. <laughs> well, not, what about one that doesn't balance and has bad okay, math in it? That, that. Well, they, they always <laughs> That's have just a project. That just, that, just make, that just makes your day. <laughs> Anna, um, what about you? Yeah, so it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to be back again. Uh, my name is Ana Jaconte. I'm the president of Reinvision Wealth. Um, you know, my story is you know, I'm a first-gen American, daughter of immigrants. I grew up in New York City, you know, humble means, and spent about a decade in corporate wealth management, advising ultra-high net worth individuals on efficient transfer of assets, tax planning, I won't say estate planning because I know Brent will grimace and shake his head, <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, doing um, long range planning for our clients that were you know, mostly older and looking to figure out the best way to enjoy their wealth now, but also pass it on to kids and grandkids and organizations that they cared about. <clears throat> About, you know, 10 years into that, I had a crisis, I suppose, or I had a moment where I looked at myself and realized that I was not doing work that felt impactful. Uh, I come from a very community-focused family, and so that felt out of alignment with my own interests and my own priorities and my values. And so I made the decision to leave and start my own firm. I ran that for a few years. And then in 2022, um, made the decision to merge with Keith. And now we are 
together at Reenvision Well. Um, at the firm, I mostly do the financial planning and advice. I work with our um, other tax planning um, director and our other planners to do great work for both our financial planning clients and some of our ultra high net worth clients too. Yeah, very nice. So uh, now everybody knows that we're talking to the right people about this topic, <laughs> but the the element that um, both of you kind of brought up was was basically helping people to deploy their their wealth or, or whatever they've accumulated, be that on their by their own merits or or by inheritance, uh, in ways that are impactful for them personally. What what do you do? How do you how do you kind of approach that process? How do you help clients to do that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say so. This um, um, this term impact investing been uh, more commonplace and and um, has come to more prominence, I'd say, the past uh, three to five years. Um, and really what it means in, in a nutshell, Brent, is that what's most important to them when it comes to um, their, their values, their principles, um, their social impact priorities, and then simply say, well, here are all the things I really care about like in my personal life. Now, how can I now look to align my investment assets um, with all those things that are most important to me? So, you know, for, for a long period of time, no one really thought of aligning your investment assets in that way. So the, 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 the thinking, the common thinking was, I'm just going to make as much money as I can and, you know, all the good stuff and doing good in the world. I'm just going to do that through nonprofits and charities and, and the like. Um, but now we're in a space where we can, you know, have conversations with, with clients and say, well, if you really care about um, gender equality, then do you really want to invest in a company that doesn't have any women on its board? Right. So you really want to invest in a company that's in some shape or form, you know, harming you know, women in the workplace and not providing a supportive or embracing culture for them to thrive and, and for them to, to, to succeed in the, in the, in the workforce. Um, and you just go kind of down the line around issues that, that folks care about. And then you layer that on to investments and, and making, um, you know, building portfolios. So if you think about like the way we kind of think about it, we call it this, this mapping process that we, that we have for clients where will map onto their and, and of course we want to keep in, in mind their you know personal financial objectives right so um those those are going to take priority so if you if you need to you know return seven to eight percent from your portfolio we're going to work start from that and then work out work our way back to uh your impact objectives and and, and the alignment um, but we have this process where we map on to their portfolio and, and their investments like their values and 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 you know social interest and the like and um, you know that process I would say was was isn't something that other firms do as well but I don't think it was as common now as it was you know ten years ago it wasn't you know people weren't talking as much about impact investing and you know, values alignment when it came to their portfolios you just want to talk about you know shop ratios and um, alpha and 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 you know, all the traditional financial terms um, but but there's there's now this um, you know this marriage of, of values and and um, and doing so in a, in a traditional uh, investment framework. Yeah, and I'll just add on to that that I think one of the beautiful things that we have available to us now is more like investment options, but also the ability to layer that on top of like folks' personal financial plan, right? And as we think about you know putting the whole personal financial situation together, 
um, you know, investments are obviously going to be a key component, but they need to be really um, the impact themes, the personal sort of trajectory of that person's life, their family structure, their charitable interests and inclinations, and the type of assets they have have to really be married on top of this um, investment portion of things. Yeah, and it's interesting something that you that you said there, Keith, about um, people wanting to have an impact not just waiting to give to charity, you know, wanting to wanting to do something now. Do you think that's, you know, is that a, is that a new mentality number 1 or is that a is that a, an outcome that's just been market driven where the the industry has caught up with what people always wanted to do and they just now have this option to do impact investing which they didn't maybe have uh, as readily available in the past yeah i think it's more the latter i think the industry has caught up to to um to demand from you know from clients and 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 um you know from households because you know if, and it's also how the language that we use and the questions that you ask right so there are lots of advisors that say oh well my clients don't care about impact investing or ESG. And I, I asked the question, well, have you ever asked them if they could make the same return and it'd be aligned with their values if they would want to do that? And no, they wouldn't. I'm like, are you sure? Have you ever asked the question? So I think part of it is a lot of us are, are starting to realize that you do have options. And um, as Anna mentioned, like there's been a proliferation of um, investment strategies and, and managers where you can be more targeted in, in how you're building portfolios and, and how you, you are aligning your your capital with your, you know, with your purpose. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's, it's been like more of the industry catching up with with the demand from the, the client side and, and less um and it's been yeah, it's been more more demand driven than the supply driven. And of course, you know, there, there's a lot of the, the, one of the terms that's thrown around a lot is is greenwashing. So now everyone's uh, ESG, you know, portfolio ESG manager. So you have to um, you know sift through a, a lot of a lot of um, you know garbage and, and a lot of uh, window dressing. Um, but you know, for the, for those of us that have been doing it for for a while, um, you know, it's just you know it's par for the course. Mm-hmm. That's it's really interesting. Do you think it's driven by you know, we were talking about kind of the market forces pushing things in a certain direction? Do you think that then if we, when you double click into that, is it driven by retail investors or is it driven more by institutional investors that then retail well, investors get to sort of piggyback off of? Yeah, I think it's it's I'd say the, the foundation world and then also um, you, you have you know, ultra high net worth um, individuals that are that are um, that are doing like great work and, and they're being very uh, vocal about it and um, and people are taking note. So you know if you have folks that work billions of dollars and they're giving away hundreds of millions to, to HBCUs and um, you know talking about you no know, racial equity in, in, a, in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, you know, they're the people who want to work with them, who want their money, who want their business are going to take note. So I think that it's, it's been a combination of of, um, you know, both pretty influential, uh, I'd say, you know, ultra high net worth folks and foundations um, and, you know, and probably like less so with, with retail, because for a lot of retail investors, um, you know, unfortunately, a, lo- a lot of impact focused investments are, are you know limited to accredited investors or so and accredited investors for those who are listening. Um, are high income or high worth, high net worth um, households. So you know, the definitions are 200K. You, you make at least 200K if you're single, 300K if you're married.
married or you know, your net worth is north of a, of a million bucks. Um, and so usually when, when we're referring to retail investors, it's, it's not you know, necessarily folks that are accredited. So a lot of the impact investments are, are um, oftentimes a target towards accredited investors. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's a little bit of a use case on how do you how do you make large impactful changes um, in in complex systems like mm-hmm. the, like the investment landscape, which is very complex. Mm-hmm. So I think I think going back to and kind of tying this thread together, mm-hmm. there are a lot of really impactful investment managers that are looking to sort of bridge the gap between what corporations can do, what the private sector can do, and sort of what the nonprofit sector can do. And, you know, one thing I just want to reiterate and and underscore that is that the more capital that folks have, um, the more they're going to be able to move the needle and the more that they're going to be able to impact the retail side of things. So I think when we when we consider who's pushing this movement, I think it's the institutions, as as Keith said, like the foundation world, nonprofit world, endowment world, but also it has a lot to do with folks who are, I think, seeing the writing on the wall and following the time. There's a huge, I think, generational shift with millennials and Gen Z in particular that is changing the conversation that we as a nation are having. And and they're pointing out all of these inequities, right? Gender inequities, um, you know, when we think about gender identity issues, um, racial equity issues, they're really pointing out so many of those structural changes and changing the conversation. And the folks that are listening to them with the capital are what is driving a lot of this change. And I think it's just going to continue to, if we keep pushing on it, it's going to continue to trickle down. And I would hope to translate into, you know, investment options for the retail investors so that they have good investment options in their 401k plan at work and, you know, on some of the um, you know, low-cost custodians as well. Right. In in terms of then helping uh, those clients view, uh, say the 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 chronology of what they're doing. Are you are you trying to help them focus not on just themselves, but then trying to come up with like a way to pass on those values down generations to say like, hey, this is what you're describing to me. Of course, is the thing that you that you care about. But is this your family ethos and how do we then impart that to the kids and the grandkids? I think, yes, definitely. I think the first step is ensuring that they have clarity on what that is, right? Mm. Because a lot of times people will say, I just, you know, I, I see all these issues. I don't really know how to address it. These things are troubling me. And I might not even have quantified how in particular I want to approach that. And, you know, we might message or give this messaging to our kids and grandkids like, oh, we try to be good people. We try not to be wasteful. But that's very nebulous and it's not super clear. So the goal is to sit with the clients and usually, you know, it's with their clients, philanthropic advisors as well. And have a conversation around like what are the family priorities? What are the, you know, we do that mapping process that Keith outlined. What are the particular areas that you want to be um, focusing your not only portfolio on, but then your philanthropic capital on and ensuring that everything is structured in a way to do that. And then once that 
plan in terms of transition of assets, in terms of giving plan, what have you, is clear, then we can start to have those conversations with the next generation. But it's hard when you come from a place of, you know, a murky sort of messaging to then bring that on to the next generation. Yeah. What what do you think is the appropriate time then? I mean, how do you um how do you do that? I, I have my own thoughts on on yeah. when is the the right time, but I'm very, very interested to hear from the two of you because you're a little more in the trenches on the on that side of things than I am. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I think the sooner the better. And I really feel as though like that those exercises help clients live their day-to-day lives better, right? So, you know, for example, we have a client recently who she is on the younger side. She has a young child. You know, she has some inherited wealth. She's in her early 40s. And, you know, she's someone who is having a new start in life. So new career, um, recently divorced. And so completely freshly. And so she's made a decision to say, you know, she really wants to prioritize the climate. And so climate issues are very important to her. And um, racial equity is also very important to her. And so as she's making choices now, lifestyle choices, portfolio choices, um, you know, and, and charitable giving choices, we are, she's having those conversations with her young child in order to sort of imbue that. And I think it starts small and obviously it's age appropriate, right? If we're talking about an elementary school age kid, you're not going to talk to them about the racial wealth gap in some sort of detailed way. Um, you're not going to talk about to them about um, asset classes in a detailed way and how that maps to your, your own priorities, but you can talk to them about like, okay, the environment is important to us. So we're going to, you know, shop sustainably and we're going to reduce our carbon footprint and we're not going to drive everywhere. Maybe we'll take our bike and we'll walk. And then you continue to graduate up. So I personally don't think that there's ever too, it's ever too soon. I think as long as you are living and breathing those values as well, and you continue to sort of graduate the child, it's, it's never too soon. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I would add would be the, um, how you frame the conversations is going to change to, to make it age appropriate, right? So you can just start with 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 wherever the the, the child is, so and, and use things that that they are familiar with. So um, you know maybe they're in the sports, and you can you know, use analogies around you know soccer or basketball to to get certain concepts across. So you just have to you know meet them where they are and and um, you know speak to them in, in a language they understand. But the concepts are fairly you know fairly simple, right? You know don't don't spend more than you make, right? So, so if I give you an allowance of ten dollars, um, you can't go to the mall and try to spend fifteen. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, they can try. You can try. <laughs> you can try. But don't come asking me. I'm, I'm I'm not the bank. I'm not the bank. So, you know, just meeting them where they are and using you know using language um, and examples, analogies that that are going to resonate with them is is um, that was a good approach. Yeah. Yeah. I I. Well, I agree with both of those comments, and I think that the the inability sometimes of uh, parents to have conversations with their kids about these sorts of things, when the parent feels like what they're doing is they're they're kind of protecting the kid from something, or they're mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're sheltering themselves, or they you know they're keeping things close to the vest for themselves, and that's how they operate. It it 
usually, although not always, but it usually ends up not working out exactly the way that they were hoping um, because there's, I think there's nobody better positioned to have that conversation and sort of impart those values than a parent. And I, I'm with you. And I think it's, it, there's, there's never really a time that's too soon. So uh, for example, and I, this was not my idea. I got this idea from somebody else and I've heard other people say that they did it. And so that was part of the reason that I did it. But in in our state, you can give uh, you can give money to charity. You get a, a credit back against your state taxes. Um, but a lot of states do it. So, you know, you could give to the school and in, say, a couple hundred dollars, you get a couple hundred dollars back in a ta- state tax credit. So it's sort of like it's almost free money um, in terms of the giving. And but there's a long list of other charities that you can give money to and get the same the same uh, the same treatment. It doesn't it's not just schools. So every year when we're going to do that, because we were going to do it anyways, we'll we'll have our kids come pick the charities. We'll say, all right, we have this amount of money we're going to give and you have this much for you and you pick the one. Here's the list. You can look them up and sort of do a little bit of your own due diligence. You pick the ones that you want and then we'll give the money there. And it's really interesting to bring the kids into that process to kind of hear their comments and see them excited about um, how they how they want to use that money for charitable purposes. And then to see what things that they really care about, because then they have to think about what is it that these different charities do and what are the what are the topics that they want to support. And for us, that's important. We want them to have a mindset that it's not just about accumulating and holding and 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 stowing away. It's also about trying to help people along the way. So that's one thing that we've done. Again, it's not my idea. I got that idea from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those sorts of conversations are impactful. Yeah. And and the thing I would say as a parent, um, and I don't know if y'all agree with this, but I think even if you don't talk to them about it, they're they're getting the information from somewhere or they're sort of coming up with a story or a narrative on their own. Yeah. And so I think it's important to, if you want to impart a specific value system, and especially if you think it's one that they would not um, a- obtain or receive otherwise, then it's really important to be intentional and explicit about that. Um, you know, you'd much rather have conversations around lots of different things proactively and impart those values. So, you know, for me, I think I always emphasize like after we've done some of those values exercises with clients, like sit with that, have those conversations with your children, you know, do and for our clients that are older and might have adult children, um, you know, do we want to bring the kids in on some of these planning meetings, right? Like, do we want to bring them in on some, even if it's not to, we have uh, one set of clients in particular who they're not leaving anything to their children, their ultra high net worth, you know, multiple tens of millions, they don't want to leave anything to their kids, that's one of their core values, it's all going to charity, both during their life and at death, right? But, you know, it's it's still great for them to understand how they've set up their charitable giving on an annual basis and how they make the decisions of what to do. And I think it also helps potentially alleviate some of the issues that might come with, you know, oh, mom and dad passed away and they didn't leave me anything. Right. And so this gives them a sense of why they didn't do that. Um, and what was important to them and not that, you know, they were just angry or being mean. It, it was a very intentional, deliberate choice that they're made. Yeah. And that really, I mean, the, what you just described there with um, the conversation you're having with, with your your kids, that's really the, uh, that's part of our intake process now, like when, when we have a new client, like 
where do you give charitably? Because that gives us an idea of uh, more than likely like what their impact priorities are going to look like. Because if we know that they're giving to, you know, a bunch of education um, institutions and nonprofits, then, um, you know, we know we, we're going to try to feature education or like ed tech, an ed tech fund or something along those lines, like in the portfolio. So, um, you know, that, that conversation, it's great that you're having that conversation with, with your kids and it, it's very much, um, you know, relevant to the conversations that we have with our, our clients as well. So how do you, uh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say that, but, um, what, uh, then what do you do for clients to help them so that when it moves into generation two, generation three, that those, those members of the family don't just rip up the playbook and, uh, I don't want to say waste the wealth because I mean, people can spend their money however they want. So, you know, that's one of our, our freedoms in this country, but it's not the wisest decision to just blow it all. So how, how do you help those people in that next generation who maybe weren't part of the conversation initially to kind of catch the vision and, and then not just destroy the whole system? Isn't that your job, Brent? The state planning attorney's <laughs> no, no, no. job Lawyers... is to make sure they can't do that. No, no, no. Lawyers <laughs> don't help that. No, no, no. No, well, uh, well, let me, I'll, I'll see, I'll see it then just from my perspective, which if, for whatever it's worth. Um, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves, which mm-hmm. is um, the next generation coming into the picture and sort of now being in control and handed the keys. And the first thing they want to do is tear everything up. Mm-hmm. They want to, they want to come in, take all the structure that's been created and they want to break it up, mm-hmm. which is the worst idea possible. It is the most, as far as I can tell, the most financially detrimental thing that you can do is to just take the structure that was built with care and thought and then just break it into pieces. And usually it's be, it, sometimes there's a reason for it, right? Like sometimes people can't get along. And so they just cannot fathom the idea of being together in one pot with a, a family member that they hate and then they're never going to agree on anything, let alone how to use money. Um, but that to me, I think is is a huge challenge. And what it really uh, emphasizes in those situations for me is that this group of people are undereducated on the purpose and and the goal for this structure. They they haven't caught the vision. Yeah. And that's a that's a failure. Mm-hmm. It's either my failure or it's somebody else's failure, but it's but it's a failure. I, I couldn't agree more because that's actually what I was thinking is that there there was some sort of break in the chain between the original like wealth generator or whoever was leaving the wealth to that that generation and imparting the family values around money and around philanthropy. Um, the the estate planning thought process and how everything works. And I, you know, I have seen it all in my career in terms of levels of transparency. I had a client who was, you know, um, extremely wealthy for, you know, he was a partner at a corporate law firm. He made all the wealth himself and had, you know, middle, middle thirties, like mid thirties age children and would not even pass the UTMAs to them, would not they they still had UTMAs at 35, right? Um, they were professionals, all successful out of the house. And yet still there was such a reticence to share any financial information or give any control. And so I can imagine a scenario in which that next generation would just not at all respect the structures that have been in place because there was next to no communication around the intentionality, the estate plan, how things were structured, why the investments were done the way they were and all of that. Um, I have seen the flip side where, you know, there are annual family meetings 
And as kids get older and older, like the, the matriarch and patriarch of the family are having those conversations with their, you know, sometimes 40 and 50 year old kids on an ongoing basis. We have a family foundation. Here are where, here's where we're planning to give this year. What do you guys think about that? Um, you know, here's how the investments are structured. Here is how the assets will eventually pass to you guys and your kids. And I think that the that leads to the most harmony in a family. And I think that's kind of the best use case. And so from my perspective, if clients are hesitant to have those conversations with their children, that usually indicates a deeper problem. And we need to take a step back and, and talk through that. And, you know, as much as we're not family therapists, um, you know, we can sometimes play the role of navigating some personal relationships in a family to have those conversations with, you know, Gen 1 and Gen 2. Because otherwise, if we wait until somebody passes away, then it's, you know, a dogfight. And that's really unfortunate. Or there's adverse tax and planning effects that, you know, why why pay more money in taxes than you need to? Just because. But all all that fighting is good for lawyers. Think about what it is. You're you're trying to say that uh, my people should not be able to, you know, make our money. Y'all got to eat, too. We know. know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I I agree entirely. Actually, there's um, there's thankfully a lot of research on the topic. And and most of the research is very in line with what you're (laughs) describing, that having family meetings and creating a, a philosophy, having a common goal, appealing to not just the numbers, which would make Keith very happy, but also sort of the the emotional side of, of the family and the relationships, that those things are the most impactful things that uh, successful wealth transferers do mm-hmm. in the sense of the, the wealth is transferred from one generation to the next. And rather than being diminished, it grows, which is what it's supposed to do, right? When you set it, when when Keith sits down and does all of his his projections, it's going to show that the wealth is going to grow over time. That's what's supposed to happen. And yeah. when it doesn't happen, it means something has kind of gone awry. Well, or or it means that um, someone has a a, diff- a different stance on on wealth accumulation. So true. And 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 you know our our goal as our our role as advisors um, isn't necessarily for us to impose like our values on, on our clients. So if a client comes to us and says, you know, I want to leave as much as I can to our, our, our heirs, our beneficiaries, then we're going to work with that client. If a client comes to us and says, you know, I want to leave each kid $50,000, then we have to work with that, that client as well. Um, So, yeah, I'd say like there's one of the things that we, we we look at a lot of things across like a continuum. So even, you know, not just when it comes to you know risk and, and, and reward, but even when it comes to your thoughts on like your wealth and redistribution, right? So you know at, at one end we have like the the wealth maximizers, another end we have the the wealth um, you know, redistributors that want to hand everything over or pass everything down to to um, impactful causes or, or beneficiaries or other other folks. So um, you know we we think about a lot of things across across different continuums and then like reconciling all those continuums in the, in the context of you know their overall financial plan is 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 our job as advisors. Yeah, and I, I would assume Brent too that you would have an experience like this, but you know my my feeling is our job is to listen to the clients. And to hear what their priorities are, what their concerns are, you know, understand their family dynamics and and all of that that's in play, and then use our own skill set to come up with a plan for them. 
it's not our job to say these are the things you need to be doing. Like we need to save you taxes as the be all end all goal. That's not always the be all end all goal. Right. And so, you know, if folks are feeling as though they're not getting the right answers from whatever professionals they have, whether that be tax professionals, lawyers, financial advisors, investment professionals, if they're not, um, their concerns and their priorities are not being heard, then it's absolutely time to shop around. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. You do have to match the plan to the goals that the clients want and that they're telling you they want. Um, I I have found that a lot of the goals that people describe to me still fit within fairly similar structures. Mm -hmm. And so one of the comments that I'll give to clients, you know, they'll have some very specific like political stance um, and sometimes with that stance, like and and so therefore, um, you know, I'm I'm not so comfortable with the money or maybe the kids are a little bit embarrassed by the money. And I'll just tell them, say, well, you know, every cause that you believe in on this planet runs on money, everyone. So money kind of drives that conversation. If you if you want to have a big impact in that part of your life, whichever, you know, whatever direction that's going, um, it takes cash. And so if that's something that's important to you, then you, then we have to focus on all these, you know, fancy financial things and the taxes and all that. If that's not something that's important to them, then those things aren't as important. And just helping people to kind of understand the the actual um values that they're selecting, I think is helpful because most people aren't really thinking about if I say I don't care that my kids get very much money or or I don't want my kids to get too much money, what does that mean? They don't think about the what does that mean? They just think about the concept. And then it's for us as the professionals to try to help them to focus in on, all right, well what what does that actually translate into? And then how do we get you there? You were talking about kind of nebulous concepts. Like we can't really do great planning for nebulous concepts, but if we can get you to focus in on something more specific, then we can do really good planning for that very specific thing. Absolutely. And the the folks that are more dialed in in terms of what they want and what's what matters to them uh, are the ones that I think we can help the most um, right. overall. So if you say specifically, I really care about housing, housing equality, and I really care about charities that focus on housing equality, then we can help, right? And we can, you know, find investments that work towards that help you structure charitably now and at death to pass those assets along, think about beneficiary designations and all of that. But if you never tell us, like, I just, you know, maybe I don't know who I give to, I don't have a strategy, then it's not particularly helpful. Well, you too. It is, uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you. I know you, you are also busy people and have other things to do than talk to me today. So I I don't, I don't want to be, uh, using up too much of your time, but I I can't thank you enough for spending time with me. If people are trying to find you, what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah, so I think um, our website, reenvisionwealth.com or on social media, my handles are all the same, Instagram and Twitter is at A-N-J-I-E-K-O-N-T-E. I'm also a big big LinkedIn guy, so uh, you can just look me up by name and credentials and you'll be able to find me. You will exist. The LinkedIn algos can find you <laughs> in the search function. Great. Well, thank you again both. Of course, we'll, I'll leave all the contact information in uh, the show notes so people can find it there and on the website, et cetera. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, all right. Brent. Thank you, Brent. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com. 
and follow me on social media at Love and Law. I'll see you there.